you have a Bible nearby, let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. I apologize for my scatteredness. Um, it always seems to happen on this particular Sunday. I was kind of telling Cody about it. It always seems like there's, on the church birthday, there seems to be a little more uh, I don't know, chaos or things go either go wrong or didn't go as planned or... Uh, you know, we show up and, and and there's just always something going on. Uh, fortunately, that really doesn't matter. It just kind of makes us a little bit scattered sometimes. It makes me a little bit, you know, like I can't find my notes. I left my Bible back there again, you know, stuff like that. But it does not at all slow down the momentum of what God wants to do among us tonight. And uh, and so I realize that all that stuff is really just, it's really just stuff that God has gathered us here for a reason. And the reason is not to celebrate the sixth birthday of the Ring Community Church. Uh, that's not the reason. Uh, we come to celebrate the Lord, and by celebrating our church birthday, we're really celebrating His faithfulness. And so uh, tonight's uh, talk on, on my end is really, really, I really just have one point, and that point is that God is faithful. And so if you, want, if you take notes, you can just write that. God is faithful, the end. Uh, now I will illustrate that in several ways, but that's the one point for tonight. And uh, God being faithful is uh, is something that I think gets thrown around a little too easily in Christian circles and stuff like that. And, and know, it sounds good, it preaches well, it sings well, but it really needs to, it needs to make a difference in how we how we live, you know, how we think, how we make decisions, how we, uh, how we abide. I mean, it really it impacts everything if we can learn to live like based on that truth that God is faithful. And so we're going to look at a couple of, of uh, things that happened in the life of Abraham. Uh, if you have been around church and stuff, then you've heard all these before. Uh, and Abraham is just such a great, uh, great example of, of, Abraham being faithful, but greater than that, it's about God being faithful. So, um, the sub-points for tonight, God is faithful. Uh, we'll look at how God, God was faithful to Abraham and how God has been faithful to us as a church. Uh, and God will be faithful to you as an individual. So, there's the big point and three sub-points. Let's kind of look at what in the world I'm talking about. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 Starting in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Now Abram will have his name changed to Abraham. Uh, we won't look at that part tonight, but just so you know. I thought you were talking about Abraham. Abram, same person, two different names. Alright, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, okay, so God says pack up all your stuff, pack up your family, uh, leave everything that you know, everything that you've grown up around, everything that's familiar and comfortable, and Leave the life that you thought would be yours until the day you died. Leave all that stuff. Pack up 
and go to a place that I, and I'll show you when you get there. All right. Now, that, if, if we really stop and think, and of course we all just kind of leap into our own lives for just a second. Like if God told me to like pack everything up, uh, I think a lot of times we, we think of like, how do you tell your wife that, you know? God told me we need to move, and I'm not real sure where, but we've got to get up and leave. You know, I'm sure like that was probably uncomfortable. Uh, those that he took with him um, that were part of his household, you know, that was probably weird. Having to pack stuff and all that was weird. Not having a destination, probably be weird. But think, think more, more big picture than that. Think about by this point, you know, Abraham. He's a he's a grown man. Okay, he has a wife. They don't have any kids, but he but he's got. He has property. He has a family like heritage. He has all this. He's probably as established, you know, as, as he's going to want to get. He probably has assumed that the rest of his life will will look a certain way, and he's settled into that, and he's probably probably okay with that. And here God comes and tells him, uh, "No, it's not going to be that way. I have a different plan for you." And He says, "I mean." I'll make you into a great nation. Everybody on the planet is going to be blessed because of you. That sounds really great. Um, but think of the, think about the, the fears that have to launch into your brain when you've been told by God to abandon everything that you know and just trust Him and just follow Him into the unknown. Um, there, there have to be, a, there just had to be a ton of fear, a lot of insecurities, a lot of what ifs, a lot of doubts. Uh, so much, it just had to be such a daunting, thing like what a sobering moment to have God tell him this it it should be great and full of rejoicing I think sometimes we maybe skip too quickly past the the emotional weight that must, he must have been carrying in those moments at that time and then every step of the journey just had to be like am I sure is this really it like what what if this happens what if this happens what if I'm wrong what if this what if this what if this there just had to be a tremendous amount of fear there um but but we see in the next verse, verse four, that even though he was afraid or whatever, uh, he did it. Verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Seventy-five years old. Okay, that's not dog years. That's like actual year years. Seventy-five-year-old man takes off. Verse five. Abram took Sarah, his wife. And Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came, uh, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, "To your offspring I will give this land." So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. To this, to your offspring, I'll give this land. So, over the course of the journey, they find themselves in the place where the land is. Now look at look in chapter thirteen, look at verse fourteen. Okay, a couple of things happened obviously in the course of those verses. We'll get to verse fourteen. It says the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Okay? Basically, everything, as far as you can see, this is going to be yours. Uh, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. 
Arise, I love this, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Okay? He, he, God tells him to, like, to walk the land. No. Can you imagine, I mean, just put yourself in that deal. You're like, you're looking at, man, I can see pretty far. You have no idea how far you can see until you start trying to walk it. And he has him walk it. Every single step. Can you imagine the, uh, what kind of a worship time that was for him? I mean, step after step after step after step of God's faithfulness on display to him. He had to be thinking like, oh, I didn't make it up. I didn't hear wrong. God didn't set me up for failure. He wasn't playing a, a trick on me. I was so afraid of this and this and this and this and none of those things happened. Like we're here and I'm walking and I can't believe how much land is here. Step after step after step. God was God was faithful to Abraham. Because God is faithful. In January of two of the of two thousand, uh, a group of like thirty to forty uh, college and like I mean the old the oldest people in the room were like twenty four. Okay. Uh, group about thirty or forty in that age group uh, gathered together in a living room where all the furniture had been taken out in order to make room for everybody. And gathered in this living room, and after uh, thirty days of praying to figure out what God wanted from the future for the future of this college ministry they were a part of, uh, gathered in this room and spent several hours uh, talking about the things that God had. Uh, communicated to them individually as like over the course of that 30-day journey and people were, were sharing and and there was like you know, a lot of piggybacking going off of conversation God showed me that too God showed me that too nobody in the room had talked to each other about it over those 30 days it was very much you and the Lord because we didn't want to sway each other and so hours hours together talking laughing praying eating taking breaks uh, whatever there came a point at the end of that that gathering that day in that living room after 30 days of praying on our own of basically asking God to put us all on the same page where we uh, put together a list of what we felt like God had unified among us during that time. And the first thing on the list was that, that we sensed that God was wanting us to uh, plant a church. Um. And I'll never forget the the weight of that moment, you know, because we were all excited, you know, and like we were just like we've been praying for thirty days and we couldn't talk about it to each other, and God was showing us a lot of stuff, but you couldn't say anything, and so finally we get to talk about it, and there's so much consistency, and everybody's lining up, and there's so much unity there, and so when it came time to say, okay, so what we're saying is we're going to plant a church. And and there were a few like there were a few people who didn't really understand the the seriousness of the moment. But for the most part, it was like this blanket kind of just like settled over the whole room. And we're like, whoa. This just got real. We're gonna do this. And everybody's like, Yeah, we're we're gonna do this. For me, instant fear. In, instant. Fear, 
doubt, worry, second-guessing things, what-ifs, what-ifs, what-ifs. We went on to the second thing, which was the word eventually, which was great for me. I was like, so, okay, so we're, we're going to plant a church eventually. Okay. But then I was like, wait a minute. That's a whole new set of fears. Cause when do, when do you do it? When you start trying to raise money, when you start making plans, when you start doing this, this and this and this and this. So now I've got two sets of fears. God being awesome was not going to like, Say, hey, I want you to start a church eventually. Good luck figuring that out. It's not how he works, because that would not be faithfulness. Next thing on the list was, uh, you need to stop making decisions in groups of 40. So we chose eight to make decisions. That's the next thing he told us. The next thing was, uh, don't get so focused on planting a church eventually that you ignore all the people I'm bringing to you now to serve and love on. So be a college ministry. So we, we're going to be a college ministry. Next thing was invest in the church that I have you being a part of. Don't be so focused on planting a church one day that you ignore Parkview. So we try to connect more and invest more in Parkview. Last thing, he said you need to talk to people who have done this. You need to receive lots of, out, of wisdom from outside folks. What we didn't realize at the time was that everything on that list was preparing us for something that was going to happen down the road. We ministered to those that we had. And we learned. We learned how to. We learned more and more about what the church was is, is about. Um, invested in Parkview, we were discipled and shared a part of that that life that was there. We sought outside wisdom. We had a group of leaders that were designated. God was setting us up to walk. Like to put us on a journey to get closer and closer and closer to what he called us to do. Because God didn't, doesn't say go do this and then not equip you to do it. He just, that's not how he works. So that was January of 2000. February of 2006. Nate, if you could put that picture up. Uh, this is the launch moment, so to speak. Uh, so I know a lot of you weren't around at this, at that time. But what you have is you have a group of people in the middle of the, of the gymnasium. Uh, and then you have like a circle of people on the outside. People on the inside were like people who were going to be a part of this launch, this new church. Folks on the outside were all of our friends and family and supporters who were, uh, who were not going to be a part of the launch, but they were, they're in it with us. And so, uh, we, uh, Basically, like, we're prayed into existence. Cause we're like, how do you even start a church? Like, what do you do? Like, is there a, like, shotgun start? Or like, how do you, what's the, what do you do to initiate it? So nobody really knew, honestly. Like, most people just start having church, but we had been having it, you know, so, uh, so my boss at the time, Jim Wallace, he's the one on the stage and he prayed and we were born, uh, through prayer. Um, <clears throat> so this is six years and a month after a group of, Students were in that living room, praying, talking, seeking the Lord, whatever. Six years to become a reality. But it became a reality. And here we are six years after that. See, God's been, God's been faithful to us. 
He didn't say go start a church and then not show us how to do it. He showed us every step of of the journey. That's how he does it, because he's faithful. God was faithful to Abraham. God's been faithful to us. God be faithful to you. See, in, in Abraham's situation and in our situation as a church, tons of fears and doubts and concerns and what ifs. Just, I mean, just ridiculous amount of stuff. Not a single fear is greater than the sovereign God who is over all creation and who has called us to himself. And so, if he's faithful to Abraham to crush all his fears, and he was faithful to us to crush all our fears, he'll be faithful to you to crush whatever you're afraid of, whatever's, whatever's going on in your life right now. And I know in this room that there are, are things that we sense God is leading us into, and we are just afraid. We're insecure. We doubt. We say, well, what about this? And what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if I'm wrong? And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and all this stuff. Not a one of those things trumps the faithfulness of God in your life. You're no different than Abraham. You're no different than the story of the Ring Community Church. Because it's the same faithful God then, and then, and now. Same. Absolutely the same. So let him, let him whisper the truth of his faithfulness to you in whatever you're afraid of that you're facing right now. Just let him, let him do that. Be encouraged by these examples. Don't push them away and don't re- find ways to be an exception to those things. Just say, hey, I, I see it in the Bible. One example of, of many. I see it in the church that, not just this church and all, all the church. So. Same thing for me. You own it. Embrace it. Drink it in. Second thing, let's keep looking at Abraham's story. First, go to chapter 15. Verse 1 says, After after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue, uh, I continue childless. In the heir of my house is Elizer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now remember, previously, dude was 75 years old. Keep that in mind. And God's saying, No, your own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, this is beautiful, look toward heaven and the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. All right. Now flip over to chapter 17, verse 15. So God says, you're going to have your own son, he's going to be your heir, don't freak out. Verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall be she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? 
Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may, might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Okay? So Abraham had a, a son with another woman. Uh, his name was Ishmael. And uh, God's saying, no, he's not the one. You and your wife are going to have your own child. Yet she's 90. All right. You're 100. Okay. Uh, it's going to happen. Okay? Now, the imp- impossible nature of this scenario puts God's faithfulness in in a radical new light, you know. Because, yeah, okay. So God tells him, pack up, move everything to a land I'm going to show you, all that kind of stuff. All right, that's pretty cool. Uh, not outside the realm of possibilities, okay. But now you're messing with the natural order of things, all right. You're talking 90-year-old woman, 100-year-old man having a baby of their own. Not adopting a baby, having a baby. That falls into the into the category of impossible for us. And it's pretty hard for us to think outside of impossible. You know, we tend to dismiss dismiss stuff. We tend to say, okay, that's never going to happen. So I must just be hearing things, or must whatever. Must must be my voice, not God's voice. That whole debate, but. We tend to say, okay, uh, it's just, it's not gonna happen, so I don't wanna get my heart set on it, cause I don't wanna be disappointed, you know, whatever. Uh, flip out of verse, uh, chapter 21. Verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah, 90 year old Sarah, conceived, and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. They did it. They had a baby, just like God said that they were going to. See, what God, like impossibility, like doesn't, doesn't exist in the same conversation as we're talking about things that God can do. We are the ones that dismiss it because it's impossible. But God does not. Okay, God was faithful to Abraham. With the ring, a lot of what we faced early on were things that would be put in the category of impossible, uh, especially by people who plant churches for a living. Even, even over the course of, after those six years, of uh, of learning and growing and God putting us in on that path, uh, people said, "What you're doing is going to fail." People said it in January of 2000 because we all ran out of like, "We're going to start a church. We're going to start a church eventually," you know. And uh, people were like, Yo, "Whatever, you're not going to start a church. You are just a bunch of hyped up college students." And you love Jesus. It's not that you don't love Jesus, but. You don't really know what you're talking about. Because like we're talking about like the church, you know. For years we heard that from people. People would say, What do you what do y'all know about running a you don't know anything about church? You grew up around church, but you don't know anything about like how they work. Then who's gonna lead it? 
Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to do your kids' ministry? Who's going to do your youth ministry? Who's going to do the counseling? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do this? How are you going to do this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Have you thought about this? You probably hadn't thought about this. but Over and over and over for six years. People would say, you know, the biggest thing you're going to face is is money. So you need to go and like find find people who will give you money because you're working with a demographic that does not give. Uh, what little money they do have, they hold on to. They don't give it. So you need to find like benefactors, you know. Oh, well, all right. We start looking around, and this group, this organ, this like church planning deal, like we'll give you thirty thousand dollars. Awesome, bring it. But here are all the strings attached. This other group, we'll give you a hundred thousand dollars. But this is, you know, but this, but this, but this. Everything we, everything we we looked at, we we're like, man, what? We just want some free money, you know? Nobody gives any money. We started praying about it, praying about it, and basically came down to this. We did. We had a Q and A Sunday night, not where anybody could ask questions, but where I addressed like questions that we kept hearing. One of the questions was, "Who's going to pay for it?" And the answer is, "We are. We're going to pay for it." I mean, God's going to pay for it through us, but we don't have any rich benefactor giving us money. Louisiana Baptist Convention is not giving us money. Nobody's going to give us money. God wants us to do this ourselves. Who's going to do your kids' ministry? We are. Who's going to do the preaching and counseling? We are. Who's going to do this? We are. We are. We are. We're going to do this. And every single one of those things that people would say, you're, this is going to fail because this. Basically, the general thing was for six years, off and on, from, from people who absolutely knew what they were talking about, all the way down to people who just like to throw their opinions in, we basically kept hearing people say, what you're wanting to do is impossible. It's cute, it's honorable, but it's it's impossible. It's not going to work. You better have a plan B. And here we are. Still afloat. Here we are. $1.2 million has come through our offering buckets in the past six years. Now, some churches, that ain't nothing. But us, that's a lot of money. I want to call people like, who's going to pay for it? We are. <laughs> you're too young. You're too inexperienced. This and this and this and this and this. Well, we're, we're just going to follow the Lord because we believe that he's going to be faithful to us. If Abraham and Sarah can have a baby and they're 90, 90s plus, then we can follow our Lord to start a church because he's telling us to. God was faithful to Abraham and Sarah. He was faithful to us. He'll be faithful to you. I know that there are things that you are are looking at in your life or lives of other people, and you're like, there, this is absolutely impossible. You know, This addiction is always going to be an issue. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for someone that you're close to. You're saying, like, it is, it's just impossible. This will never change. I'm just going to have to learn to live with it. And the whole time God's saying, no, no, you, you pray, you pray differently. You change the, you change the situation in the, in that regard. You, you go after this. You minister in this situation. You're going, yeah, but it's impossible. And God's saying, no, it's not impossible. You are dismissing it because you think there's no way it can happen. What I'm saying is, I'm the faithful one who backs up what I tell you to do. So what are you, what are you waiting for?
Maybe it's a maybe it's a situation with with marriage or friendships. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a career change. Maybe it's whatever. If you're here and you sense that God's calling you in a direction that terrifies you, like I said earlier, or that you chalk up as impossible, you you got to let His sovereignty just crush it. You got to let the goodness of our God just demolish that. Let Him say, "My faithfulness trumps every single exception that you're trying to bring into this." There is just n- Impossibility does not exist with me. So look at the example of Abraham, real story. Okay, look at this. Look at the example of with us, because a lot of those folks that are saying it's impossible. They're probably right if you're looking at it through earthly eyes. But we we live by faith, not by sight. And by sight, yeah, what we were wanting to do probably seemed like ridiculous. But we weren't living by sight. We we're living by faith. God does the impossible. He'll be faithful to you. Um, one more. One more really quickly. Go to chapter 22. One of the best slash worst chapters in the Bible. It really is. Like I, I'm just disturbed by it every time. And even though I feel like over the years I've gained a better understanding theologically of what's going on here and I've got a lot of questions answered. It still just bugs me. So if it bugs you, then we're in the camp together. And maybe one day on the new earth, we'll be able to sit down with Jesus and be like, come on, dude, seriously? What was up with Genesis 22? Maybe not. So look at it. Verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, "Here here am I. Said, so take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Okay, God says, go. Slaughter your son, set him on fire as a burnt, literally a burnt offering to me. Abraham starts packing, you know. Even though that son dying would counter the entire promise of making him into a great nation and all this kind of stuff, it would rule out all the other promises God said to do this, so Abraham did it. Now, if you look at verse 10, Story does have a good ending to it. it says, uh, then Abraham reached out his his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here am I. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it up as burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Um, so the end of the story, awesome. The challenging part of the story, I think to all of us, is the fact that Abraham was obedient Now, that 
that obedience certainly was based on all the other things that we've talked about. I mean, God said, go to this land, I'll show you, and he showed me. God said, you're going to have a kid, even though we're super old, and we had a kid. So if God says to do this, by this point, Abraham was very much conditioned to trust the faithfulness of God. And so Abraham's obedience was based on the fact that he believed in the faithfulness of God. And that's the that's really what it all comes down to for us. See, in our the history of our, our church, it wasn't um wasn't this thing where God promised us that we would become a church. We sensed that God was was leading us in that direction. And he gave us those six things, and he said, these are, these are six things you need to walk away with, and six things that you need to walk in and live in. And I'll, this is not meant to like be boastful in any way, but uh, because mostly because it has very little to do with, with me. I was a part of a group of people who looked at those six things and said, we're going to do those things. We're going to do what he's told us to do. We're going to fight through this together, and... Uh, we're going to figure this out. And the folks who were in that room that day were obedient. Just like Abraham was obedient. Those people were obedient. A very few of them are in this room now. Uh, there are people in that room today that I really thought we would be like sitting on the front porch as old, old, old men talking about January of 2000 blah, 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 that we would be in this forever, but that just hasn't been the case. But that group of people, they were faithful because God was faithful, and they were obedient to what he said to do. And through them, God brought more folks, and some of them went away. And through that new group, he brought some more folks, and some of the other group went away, and that's just kind of happened and happened and happened and happened all the way for the last 12 years. That's what's been happening. We've been pushing each other to be obedient because we believe wholeheartedly that God is faithful. That if God lays down an, an idea, that He will bless that idea. But we we work in tandem with that. And so there has to be this, this these obedient steps that we're taking, fully believing that God empowers them and He makes it all happen, but, but He calls us to put into action our belief that, in His faithfulness. So Abraham believed it. He believed God was faithful. He believed God was being faithful. And he believed that God would be faithful. It was past, present, future. And we're here. Like, I mean, we are the nations that were talked about here. You know, We're a part of the heritage of Abraham. We stand on his shoulders. Him and, and Isaac and all the patriarchs, we read those things, we're connected to them. As a church, we stand on the shoulders of those 30 or 40 who were part of that first 30 days of prayer and seeking the Lord and what they want to do. because Not because they were in that room, but because that group was faithful to follow Jesus forward. God was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful. He's been faithful to us as a church. He will be faithful to you. But it's about obedience. The... You know, the first part of that chapter when it says that God tested Abraham, 
most of my life, I thought that meant that God was like testing him, like the same way that we're tested all the time. Some way you're tested in school. When the teacher, the professor, whoever, is trying to figure out if you know the right answer. Like, do you know the answer to the question? That's what the, the testing is about. But that's not what that testing is about. That testing is really saying, do you trust me? Not saying, are you going to get it right? Just saying, do you trust me in this? And so whatever, wherever you are in your life and whatever you're wrestling with and dealing with, just obey. Just be obedient. Look at, look at the fruit in Abraham's life. Look at the fruit in the Ring Community Church life. Same thing for you. Same God. Same power. Same faithfulness. Just right there. Jesus says, come to me. We've been talking about that. We just say yes. Because God is faithful. Let's pray. God is with um, just a tremendous amount of gratitude that uh, that we gather tonight and exist. So thankful for your presence. Thankful for the cross. Thankful for um, putting us together in a community of faith and hope and love where we can learn to to follow after you, to become like you. And we're just not in it by ourselves. And I ask, Father, that you would just in, encourage us tonight uh, by looking at the story of, of Abraham and looking at... Uh, I mean, you you saw to it that we would have these verses in front of us and these stories in front of us. Because you want us to be able to tangibly see, like, look look at my faithfulness on display. And that is supposed to transfer into real life. It's supposed to transfer into life as a church. Be able to say, look, look how faithful God has been. We would not be here. Yeah, there were the obedient, faithful ones that have gone before us at the ring, but... They were only there because we all serve this incredibly faithful God who doesn't call us into something without equipping us and seeing it through and empowering it. You just call us to be obedient. And I just ask, Father, that you would push us forward as individuals, whatever it is that we're facing, whatever hesitations are there, concerns that are there, that you would just build us up and let us see that you are you are trustworthy. I pray we just wouldn't just leave it there. I'll just spend a, a minute or two just talking to the Lord about this, and then we're going to sing in a second.